Hello and welcome to Relationship Rescue. Every relationship begins with you, the podcast. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going into part two of basically, um, yeah, does this childhood sound like yours? <laughs> and what can you expect from it? So um, let's get into it. So let's say you grow up okay, with a two parents. Um, your father works a lot. He's never around. And when he is, he's angry and he's domineering. Your mother um, is also um, an aggressive type of a person, right? Her, 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 how about this? She reacts aggressively to your father. Now, but what she does is this. She parentifies you. And um, you become, if you're a male, uh, basically her partner, her spouse. Not in a sexual way. A lot of the times, obviously, but in a way of she tells you, she relies on you for the secrets. She tells you everything bad about your dad and how she wishes she was loved more. And these things, you know, um, that, that your father does to her that make her feel sad. And, and you start nurturing your mother instead of being nurtured by your mother. You become the substitute husband. Now, what happens then is um, you're confused. You're very confused, and and in many ways, you're eventually are pitted against your father. Your father then um, she hides things from your mother about you. I mean, sorry, your mother hides things from um, from your father about you. Um, she needs to look like the perfect mother, so you can't do anything wrong, and you grow up feeling rejected and neglected by your dad, and parentified by your mom which again is confusing and you have just all sorts of limiting beliefs and none of your needs have been met at all you have you have been deeply neglected and deeply rejected in your mind rejected right which you were by the way so um now you might or might not be you know successful at school popular athletic you know um but all you know is you have an insatiable need to be recognized, noticed, to be loved, to feel like you are safe, you feel like you are belong. And this is where somebody with a lot of those narcissistic tendencies might come out or a full-blown narcissist. A lot of them are womanizers if you're a male. They are just seeking that safety from a woman like they did, you know, we had with their mother and but somebody to put them on that pedestal, somebody to do everything for them. And they are able to um, what they do is they go from woman to woman. And if they stay with one woman for a period of time, that's amazing. But they're cheating on that woman usually. And they're looking for again all of their needs to be met and their ego to be elevated because they have more shame than you can imagine. They have self-hate, they're very insecure, very low self-esteem individuals. They lie and manipulate easy. They go through friends quickly if the friends find out about them. They um, have no idea who they are. Their illusion is very um, strong. The ego protects that illusion. They, they're very good at running away, manipulating, lying. They are big time victims, big time victims. But yet then it's confusing because they'll do really nice things for people and people will be like, oh gosh, they're so nice. This one, he's so nice. He's so amazing. He's so kind. He's so generous. And you'll often hear the spouses say something like, if you only knew what I dealt with at home, if you could only see what it was like at home, right? That's, that's, that's this person. They marry, they end up becoming so self-absorbed 
that they don't care who they hurt to get what they want and need. Now, let's say um, this person is a girl. Same thing, but it's a girl. This goes along the line of also narcissist can be the narcissistic tendencies looking though for um, looking for validation from men. So they will marry the narcissist. They might be attracted to the love bombing. And it's very difficult for them to let go of that sensation of the love bomber, right? And what happens is they get so attached that they're, you know, they become the rescuers, just like they rescued their parent. They're big time. And the man and a man and a man can also end up being a rescuer this way, right? Um, and when they're rescuing, they just feel good. And again, the rescuer is it takes the attention off of their own problems, puts it onto the victim. Now the thing is this is what happens in when when we um when we become addicted to relationships and this makes this is where you'll see a lot of that addiction or or children of alcoholics girls or boys you know um that grew up with an alcoholic abusive parent or a drug addicted parent um they will possibly become that rescuer that rescues the victims like they're because guess what that their their parent was an alcoholic a victim their parent was that drug addict the victim whatever they are and they end up rescuing or they end up becoming the narcissist just like the parent is whether or not there is that alcohol dependency and if you don't if you end up becoming that rescuer okay it's very hard for the rescuer to leave the relationship. The victim can go in and out of the relationship, right? This is a trauma bond. But, you know, what happens is that um, when, when, when there are areas that are activated in our brain when we're in love, and, and those activations look alike, a lot like what cocaine almost addiction does, right? So when you are going through a breakup, your brain experiences the breakup like a kind of misery, like a detox, okay? And it happens because, part of it, because our brains are flooded with, you know, these chemical messengers that are part of that reward and motivation circuitry. So we're sending urgent signals, think about this, urgent signals to say, okay, um, you know what? Uh, we need to hurry up. Find out what's missing. What's missing here? And there was a study done about breakups where participated, um, the participants, the people in the research, reported thinking about their um, exes regularly, um, regularly, meaning many times right throughout the day, 85% of the time they were awake. 85%. So, oh my gosh. So now... The flood of hormones isn't the brain's only response to a breakup because guess what else is, you know what? The other um, areas in the brain that are active are the same um, areas that process physical pain. Now, while think about when you stub your toe or when you have a toothache, ache, it will fade. But during a breakup, that emotion, that sensation, that pain doesn't fade. It actually intensifies. We don't get angry when, you know, um, at the tooth or feel rejected by the couch that we bump into and our big toe hurts. But 
with the ex, we harbor hurt feelings, dash dreams, and exasperates the pain, right? So now guess what happens? Our brains are seeking that oxytocin, which is that bonding hormone. Because then that hormone, guess what it does? It decreases feelings of fear and anxiety. And guess what? We're in massive fear and anxiety when we're going through a breakup. And then this prompts us to do some pretty damn irrational things, right? So now those people that are thinking of their ex 85% of the time during their waking hours, guess what they also exhibited? There is a very lack of emotional control for months. Months. It could go on for weeks, months, some for a year, right? This is, uh, let's see, what could it include? Inappropriate phoning, writing, emailing, pleading for reconciliation, sobbing for hours, drinking too much, making dramatic entrances, you know, exits into the rejector's home, um, the going to the place of work, social spaces, they follow them, they go in and express the anger, despair, or their passionate love. And we are left feeling what? Empty, lost, broken, and hurt. But here's the thing, the soul is actually unbreakable. But it's very hard for me to help somebody when they're in this state, right? Immediately. I can't, you know, if you tell somebody in this state to go no contact, it's impossible to go no contact. You are fighting their brain. You're fighting systems that they're confusing with other systems, right? And they are going to emotionally react. That stems from childhood, from the fear of abandonment from the fear of rejection. Because why we believe we are not good enough, we are not worthy, people leave us, who we are is not okay, that we're unlovable, that we're unworthy. Yeah, pretty sad, huh? Okay, so how about the ones, let's go into, your parents get divorced, you live with your mom, your mom is everything, she's great, but she's emotionally disconnected, and your father, he just comes in and out of your life. He abandons you, then comes back in, he abandons you, and then comes back in, abandons you, and then you come back, comes back in. And while your mom is there for you, providing all the needs, she can't emotionally, she's not an emotional connector. She's not a hugger. She doesn't do a lot of I love yous, but she makes sure all your needs are met. And you do know she loves you, but yet she's not emotionally connected. What happens to these people? Well, they, um, they again, their life feels out of control. So they react, OCD, perfectionism. They will get, might get into these types of um, narcissistic drama triangles. Um, they become a lot, become dismissive avoidant where they're fearful to open their heart to anybody. So they keep it closed. And when they do get close to somebody, they detach because they're fearful of getting hurt. Um, they have a hard time trusting people, uh, their partners. They would accuse their partners a lot of things that their partners are not doing. Um, that's one way. Now the mother wound of being abandoned, that's a big one. If the mother abandons the family, those feelings of rejection and neglect are so deep because that mother role is on this huge pedestal. And who do we depend on, you know, in life? What do we think of as the mother? That is the, the love, the saint, the person that's supposed to be there for us no matter what. And when she abandons us through just leaving, right, divorce and disappears and or comes in and out of our life, oh boy, the rejection 
is humongous. The neglect is humongous. The feelings of I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy are humongous. And we're consistently trying to prove that we are worthy, that we are good enough. And we begin, we can become people pleasers. We can, you know, it's really, you can, you can, you're going to go one of three ways in every scenario I'm talking about. Your attachment style is going to be affected in all of these examples I've given you. And by the way, I have so many more. Um, and so you're going to become that dismissive avoidant where you detach, you dismiss and avoid somebody because you're fearful of getting hurt. You can't trust other people. You feel you can't be direct. You feel you're trapped. Um, who you are is not okay. You're unworthy. Um, so you just stay, you stay, keep your heart safe by closing it. You become anxious preoccupied, which is you get attached. You need love. You want love so badly that if when you're not getting it, when you're not getting the attention that you desire and need, when you're not being chosen, when you are feeling um, rejected or abandoned in any way, you get anxiety and preoccupied with the person in the relationship. Um, then there's the fearful avoidant, um, which is basically the same. It's a combination of the anxious preoccupied and the dismissive avoidant. And I will go deeper into each one of these in a different podcast. But um, you know what? You start to let somebody in and then you start feeling anxious and you get pre preoccupied with them and then you cut them off. And this leaves the partner totally confused. Then there is, of course, the narcissist. Very good. The manipulator, the, the liar, gaslights you tells you something is true, um, that you, tells you when you know something is true and you've caught them, they tell you it's not true. They're consistently changing the narrative to fit whatever, whatever they want you to believe or think. They use rage a lot, um, temper tantrums. They escalate a lot of things, especially the covert narcissist. So if you catch them in something, what's the best way to deflect? Rage. You're crazy. You know what? I can't be around you. I'm not going to stay around this. And then they walk out in the door, the door and you, and most likely you're severely codependent, anxious, preoccupied, and you freak out and you become one of the 85% that goes chasing after him and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What can I do? I won't do it again. Then the narcissist says, hi, I got her or I got him. And they keep you sucked in through their gaslighting techniques, through their hoovering, through everything else. And it goes around and around and around. Now, how does this go into the workplace? Same ways, just not as not as intense because it's the, the romantic relationships that are the familiar feelings of what was going on in the family household, right? So if you're a people pleaser at home, you're most likely going to be a people pleaser at work. Now, there are people that at, at work keep it together, but at home, they're totally different. They might be more angry, more abusive, right? Especially that covert narcissist, holy smoke. Um, the rescuer role really, you know, they're passive aggressive, their passive aggressiveness will eventually come out somewhere and the dismissive avoidant, you will never really get to know them. You might think you know them, but you're never going to get to know them. The very intimate problems being intimate problems being vulnerable. Um, and you'll see this in CEOs and coworkers and leaders and companies, and, and it will kind of be a scary thing for you because <laughs> you won't know what's going on. And it's not you, trust me, it's not you, it's them. Um, but it still doesn't mean that you're, it, it, that you're gonna have an easy time, right? You know, so here's some questions to ask yourself about, you know, you know, basically assessing your partner. 
because you got to start one you have to become aware of your own wounds right it is about cleaning up your side of the street and as I talk about all the time that it takes to right every relationship begins with you and it does it begins with you what you allow is what you get what you give back is what you get back and it's the truth so how can we assess our partner to decide are they ready to do some changing? Are they ready to look at their wounds and how we're, we're, we're trauma bonding here, how we're working against each other in a fear dance? Are they? What are some questions that I can ask myself to figure out if my partner is even close to being ready? Well, here they are. You know, here's some questions. And this is going to give you some insight into if they're close to being ready to healing and to living in a relationship and creating a relationship based on love, peace, success with their conscious mind not living out of their subconscious reactionary system. One, do they like learning about themselves? If someone isn't curious about themselves, they're going to definitely be, you know what, struggled learning about you. If they have passion about growing, they're going to want to grow with you. Do they like to try new things? Are they self-aware? Are they open to coaching or other ways of self-development, right? You got to, you have to assess. Are they willing to look within is basically the question. Are they willing to look within? And if they're not, doesn't mean that it can't work, right? But it means it's going to take more work on your part. And I'm going to repeat it again. It doesn't mean if they're not willing to look within that it can't work. It just means it's going to take more work on your part and you will eventually have to come to a decision. Number two, do they understand their emotions? Are they good at understanding um, and expressing their emotions? You know, is everything superficial basically, you know? Um, do they ever talk about their emotional state? Do they ever get curious about it? Number three, do they understand you and are they curious about you, right? See, self-awareness, uh, people will tell you I'm the most curious person there is. I'm very, uh, I better be actually, right? So um, self-awareness isn't just about, you know, curiosity about ourselves, but it's about other people too. So do they use their emotional skills to better understand you, right? They have, you know, they have to, they have to be a student of themselves in order to learn with you. So do they try to understand you? Do they try to understand themselves? Okay. Big one, right? Number four, can they entertain themselves? Can they be alone? I love being alone. It's easier to learn, you know, and to grow with a partner that, that can can have solitude, right? It means that they have that they realize that they also have a journey in their own path, and that means that guess what? When we have when we realize we have a journey and we have our own path to travel, it allows us to travel our path beside another person's path that we love because we're both we're in it together. It's like imagine two paths. You're walking down the road. Your partner's on one side. You're on you're on one road. They're on the other. And there's just a little tiny line kind of separates you. So, but you're each walking down your path. And then all of a sudden you reach over and you guys are holding hands and then you're walking the path together. 
And then you drop hands because guess what? It's okay. There's this part where you're going to do some things on your own. And then at the end of that time, you get back on, you're on your path still, but now you're holding hands again. Can you visualize that? That's a healthy relationship. That's a healthy relationship, guys. Anything less than that is not healthy. Um, are they open to finding new ways of solving problems? Question five. You know, um, for example, like if they're, if they're having trouble with a colleague, do they talk to you about it or a friend about it? Are they willing, you know, to talk to the colleague about it? Do they, are they able to compromise? You know, learning and growing means being flexible to address issues and from new angles, you know, um, and if they can do that in at work, they certainly can do it with you if they can do that in any relationship, right? Um, number six, do they support others in their growth? Do, do you see them supporting a friend, a sibling? Um, do you see them helping any other person grow and learn that's a part of their life, right? See, what happens is that, that when we can help others, it shows in, a, in not a superficial way. Not a way that they go, take it to garbage. Oh, I'll bring you a beer. Oh, I can, but in a way of really, you know, being there for somebody. It shows you that they can extend their radius of love and care to others, which means they can do that for themselves and for you. Last question. Do they inspire you to be better and to be more, right? Um, a partner should make us feel like, like create some, ambition in us not to impress them mind you but because you know what they believe in our abilities and they give us the confidence confidence to follow our interests and our inclinations right um and you know you've got to start really asking those hard questions and you have to start really again start with yourself and you have to start being there for you and you have to start understanding that um, you are not meant to live in misery. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Because so many of us accept misery as if that's what is what's meant for us. And misery is not meant for us, I promise you. Love, peace, joy, and success, and happiness is what's meant for us. And until you understand that, you know, you're going to keep accepting things you shouldn't accept and your inner child is going to continue to sabotage your life. And I don't, I, I really, my job, my whole commitment to life right now, forever, my whole purpose is to truly get you to see this and start committing to the life you're supposed to lead with, and desire and you deserve and that you dream of. You know, giving love to our partners, our spouses, our friends, and our family requires time. And you know what? We get busy, we get distracted, and then we look at things like we can't find time. And that's not true. That's not true. Start to get organized, you know, right? Start to get organized. Get to organize your life around connection with the people you love at the times that you can make that connection. 
prioritize it, but also don't let go of your ambitions. Don't, you know, you need to be there for your career. You need to do the things you're doing, but we also need to start making time for our partners, for growth and for learning together, for love, for focus on, on the relationship, on the marriage, on each other. Carve out that time, right? Um, and again, um, look at those people that that mean the most for you and start there. Start making time for them, but your partner needs to be a priority and but more than that, you need to be a priority and learn to live in solitude and also learn to, learn to live in love. Okay, I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna let this, I'm gonna let this rest now. I've, t I've done a lot in these last two podcasts about showing you just a few of these um, different ways our childhoods, you know, sabotage our lives. And there's so many more. But let's just start there. Um, click that link in my in my um, in the in the notes. Join my newsletter. You will not regret it. I love you. Thanks for being here. Until next time. Have a great day, evening, morning, wherever you are.